Chapter Seven of Two Years and Four Months in a Lunatic Asylum by Reverend Hiram Chase. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. I brought down my narrative in the preceding chapter to about August eighteen sixty four. All things went on in about the same monotonous manner, taking medicine three times a day eating three meals working some in the field and walking out with the attendants when september came sabbath school celebrations and picnics of various clubs were frequently held in groves near utica to these some of the patients had frequent invitations to go i was generally invited to go to these and frequently went but i cannot say that i enjoyed them I could enjoy nothing of this kind while known as a lunatic in a lunatic asylum. Some from there seemed to enjoy themselves just as well as if they had been the superintendents of the schools. There is a state of mind that is not unfavourably affected by placing them in the asylum, such, for instance, as one under the influence of hallucinations. There are many in that institution who believe they own the asylum. They think they run the institution with all its machinery. As I was there during the war of the rebellion, I found many were brought there through the war excitement. Some believed they were brigadier generals. Others believed they had been in the war and in many battles, who never saw a battlefield, nor ever shouldered a musket. On one occasion, I recollect, that a large number of patients accompanied by the attendants were on the ground while there the patients were allowed to stroll around the grounds and mingle with the people about as they pleased the attendants only taking care that they did not leave the enclosure i saw it was a good opportunity for anyone who desired it to run away and i had but little doubt but on our return home our numbers would be less than when we came and so it turned out this only shows that the great majority of the patients are held there against their will this however is no objection to the institution itself another incident i also recollect which happened on the ground at one of these celebrations a poor boy the son of a widow climbed a tree for the purpose of fastening a rope in its top for a swing for the children his foot gave way and he fell to the ground breaking one of his legs and receiving another very bad bruises he was taken up of course placed in the carriage and sent to his anxious mother with a good contribution from the people to help repair the damage i did not run away i felt some as paul did when requested to leave the prison and would not i recollect that in this instance i was rather one of the privileged i rode to the ground in a buggy with the supervisor the distance being about two miles this was the second time i had taken a meal outside of the institution since i entered it and it seemed quite refreshing more especially so as we had such a dinner as is never got up in the institution i remember of eating very heartily there is one thing which perhaps i should have noticed before 
but it will come in quite as well as this stage of my narrative about the third day after i entered the asylum i was sitting alone in a very melancholy state of mind when i saw a man approaching me which i recognized as an old friend in eighteen forty eight and eighteen forty nine in columbia county i was shocked i felt both glad and sorry to see him i rose he took me very cordially by the hand and said brother chase how do you do i felt greatly embarrassed choked up turned either red or pale in the face could not tell which did not know what to say i dare not say i was well for i was in the asylum as a patient and i did not feel sick so i stammered out cool dryer i had known him when under very different circumstances i was the pastor of the church in that neighbourhood he had often heard me preach he was also minister of the gospel and now the steward of the asylum and was at the time i met him on the hall he said a few kind words to me which i do not now recollect neither do i recollect what i said to him if i said anything i wish here to record that cole dryer the steward of that institution is a man a christian and a gentleman always mild always sincere patient to hear all the requests of the patients and though he could not gratify all their whims he nevertheless so treated them that all loved him and as soon as he appears on one of the halls the patients flock round him like hungry children round their mother i never asked him for a thing that he denied me i never heard of his doing a low or a wrong act in connection with that institution the fall passed away and i began to be restless that i had heard nothing from my family since my daughter left in july except one letter soon after she left this was from sandy hill where her mother was living at that time a letter soon came however from illinois stating that her mother was with her in that country on receiving this letter my mind was greatly relieved the mother was now with her only child and though widely separated i felt perfectly easy regarding the welfare of my family i was only in distress that i could not be with them how often did i think that could the doctors enter into my feelings for one hour and make them their own that i should soon be dismissed from the asylum but i now made up my mind to never say anything more about leaving as the doctor once told me that my own opinion would weigh nothing with them in relation to my own case i saw that a patient was a blank in all matters of opinion it is the custom in the institution when the doctor enters the hall for the inspection of the patients for the attendant to walk by his side and unless the patient is an old fixture and not accounted much insane the doctor asks the attendant the questions he wants answered instead of the patient this is no doubt right in many cases but to apply the rule as it is generally applied great injustice is frequently done to the patient the questions for instance are how does he sleep nights what is his appetite 
does he talk much what is the state of his bowels does he take his medicine regularly the patient stands by makes no reply the attendant answers all these questions i have stood by and heard the attendant answer these questions in relation to my own case does he sleep well pretty well is the reply of the ignoramus looking blank at the same time and why should he not look blank what did he know of the patient during the last night the patient was locked up in a room perhaps two hundred feet from the room of the attendant and the attendant fast asleep while perhaps the patient laid and rolled from side to side upon his couch and never shut his eyes during the whole night i have heard this answer concerning myself pretty well when i knew i had not slept the one wink and so with about all the answers there are a good many little things in themselves like this that are very annoying to a mind that is not insane and yet somewhat sensitive being always fearful that i might accidentally violate some rule and thereby fall under censure i was always on my guard and i can now recollect many things in which i was over particular one small affair i do not forget it happened in the chapel on sabbath evening the second attendant took charge of the patient on the first hall that evening he was an ignorant self-conceited overbearing little irishman i took my seat in the chapel as usual and had always supposed i knew how to behave in a church as i had been a preacher for forty years i threw my arm upon the back of the seat and as service had not yet commenced cast my eye over my right shoulder i had no particular object in view he saw it and thundered out chase turn yourself about and sit up in your seat all in the room heard of course i turned my head slowly round as though i did not hear but i felt yes i felt that if it had been anywhere else than in a lunatic asylum and he had said it he would have wished it had not been him but i never mentioned it to him afterwards and as he and the first attendant soon after this had a falling out he was discharged and went to canada this first attendant of the first hall is also supervisor of a number of halls his name is d pritchards and a better man cannot be found for the place he occupies i never saw him in a surly or wrong mood of mind always cheerful always kind never overbearing never delighted in afflicting a patient if he had any fault it was that he was too afraid of afflicting or crossing a patient or an attendant under him the whole house liked him on all the halls i felt glad to give him this tribute of regard and respect as he always treated me with a brotherly kindness and did all for me that lay in his power i find he occupies the same position in the institution still and i hope the day may be distant when he shall leave my object in writing this sketch is not to find fault or pick flaws with this institution for there is no institution in the land of whatever kind or character but has its enemies this is all understood 
but because this is so it does not follow that an institution cannot become rotten and that the people have no right to investigate its secret workings the winter came the winter of eighteen sixty four and eighteen sixty five it was december i had been occupying a small room by myself for the last three months there were some reasons why i did not like it as well as some other rooms yet i did not mention it as i liked it much better than the dormitory where i spent the winter unexpectedly to me the supervisor took me by the arm and led me to a very fine room in the centre of the hall, the best room on that floor, having a fine clothes press and all other conveniences. He said to me, I was to have that room. I could not see the point. I felt encouraged, for it seemed to me that they would not let me have that room long, so I somehow conjured up in my mind the notion that they meant to discharge me soon and as another man wanted the room I had been occupying, they would give me this as it was not occupied, for a few days until I were discharged. This was a fine picture I drew in my mind, and one that suited me, little thinking at the time that this room was to be my home for just one year, which was the fact. I put down my own carpet, had a good field bedstead, and good rocking-chair a washstand bowl and pitcher which the rooms did not generally have a good new bible was presented to me a looking-glass and a lock on my clothes-press i could not complain of my accommodations and anywhere but in the asylum i could have been quite happy as to the beds of the institution no fault could be found with them first a straw tick always kept well filled next a good mattress three good cotton sheets and coverlids plenty besides always next to the sheets thick woollen blankets for winter the outside one invariable a white counterpane the pillows were not all of feathers they were mostly of hair mine for the last year were feathers about this time a tall white-haired well-dressed man came on to the hall acting very cheerful and i saw all hailed him as an old acquaintance he seemed to be perfectly at home i soon learned by his conversation that he had come of his own accord alone he had been there the year before as a patient and having wintered well and got quite fleshy he left but he thought the asylum would be a good place to winter in again so he came back put himself under the care of the doctor gave him his cheque on the bank for nine hundred dollars as security for his keeping and commenced operations under high encouragements it was not long before he began to complain that they would kill him with medicine this was something he had not bargained for as he was not sick that came to spend the winter in a quiet way with those he knew as he had no family his wife had died and he was left alone he remonstrated against taking the medicine but all was in vain i told him it was good enough for him if after he had been there once and knew what he knew about the institution to come here again of his own accord was a mark of madness 
he would take the medicine then swear and curse the doctor for forcing him to take medicine which he did not need he finally made up his mind that they meant to kill him with medicine as they had got his money it was most aggravating it is true for the man needed no medicine but either the medicine or the thought of it threw him into great agitation of mind and not having a very strong mind he became nearly distracted fearing that they meant to kill him by dosing him he shut himself into his room put his bed against the door and barred it the best he could the attendants found the next morning his door barred and all fast they of course burst it open and such an outcry was never heard he thought then of course he was a gone case he roared and blubbered but there was no use he had to take the medicine he was now removed to the dormitory with other patients in the same room he finally concluded to take the matter into his own hands he let me into the secret it was to take the medicine in his mouth and walk carelessly away to his room or to the washroom and spit it out he was very successful in this i suppose for three months he did not swallow a tablespoonful yet it was given him three times a day in the spring his son came and took him away he went cursing the institution the asylum was now very full some enlargements were made for patients some time in the fore part of this winter as near as i can now judge i saw a poor skeleton of a man come into the hall leaning on the arm of a man on one side and on the other on the arm of a lady he looked haggard and i thought he was in the last stages of consumption they led him to one of the dormitories and placed him on a bed i thought it strange that they would leave such a man on the first hall as the sick and feeble were generally assigned to other apartments i soon learned the cause of this he was a merchant from westport essex county and a man of some means his disease was dyspepsia. he was advised to go to utica asylum for a cure as the doctors there were so very skilful he thought it like any other hospital that he could stay as long as he pleased and if things did not work favourably he could leave when he pleased and as his friends brought him there and he paid his own bills they wanted him left on the first floor his friends left and he was left there weak and feeble as a child i think i never saw before a man's limbs so very small i pitied him i knew he and his faults were sold but i dared not tell him so his appetite was very poor and what he did eat distressed him and he was in the habit of vomiting it up he had a habit when his food hurt him of placing his head down lower than his body which he thought helped him to vomit the doctor forbade his using any means to assist him to vomit he was sly and would vomit out of the window to prevent detection he was soon after removed to another hall and on passing through that hall a few days afterwards i found him bound down to his seat with straps to prevent his getting his head down 
he looked wishfully at me i pitied him but dared not say anything to him there he stayed for a long time at length he was brought back upon the first floor his wife came to see him but the doctor did not permit them to meet he wrote to his family and read the letter to the doctor representing things all right but had a slip of paper prepared counteracting what was in the letter in the slip he begged them to come and take him away this slip he put into the envelope with the letter his wife came and demanded to see him she did see him she resolved to take him home but the doctor remonstrated and she left him this afflicted the man he finally got some better and walked out with me but at this time i had my liberty to go out alone when i pleased and where i pleased he could not walk far at a time but was anxious to walk out every day at length he would stay out after i went in sometimes for half an hour he began now to lay his plans to run away as the doctor would not give his consent to let him go he one day stole the keys and came very near effecting his escape when he was detected he did not deny the fact but told them that he did it to get away that he had done nothing to forfeit his liberty that he was under no obligations to them that he paid his own way his mind was now intent on leaving he had written home for money and it had been intercepted by the doctor he resolved to go without money he walked out with me as usual he prepared himself by putting on all the clothes he could i knew nothing of his plan he lingered i went in he did not come in and has never been in since he went down to the depot by a back street went to troy found friends there to help him on and got home safe i doubt whether he will ever go to utica again to be cured of dyspatia as though this man has a perfect dread of the asylum there are men however who like the institution and think it the best place in the world it has been urged that those who so dislike the institution are those whose minds are not right they are a little insane still that if they were perfectly sane they would like it that those who like it are sane men let us see how this matter stands they that like it are sane men and those who dislike it are insane i know a man who likes the institution who has been in it as a patient for fifteen years this man is known very widely in utica in Husik and elsewhere his name is mosley is he a sane man what does he say he says it is the best institution on the globe and that dr gray and himself and his bible and the state of new york the asylum his farm in Husik, and his new house are all one thing that they all perfectly agree and that it is the best institution on the globe now who can resist such an argument as this such are the kind of sane men who like the institution that there are men who work in and around the institution and have for years who see nothing very exceptionable in any of its departments may be all true 
so there may be men who are employed in and around state prisons who see nothing very exceptional in them but this proves nothing at all there is a vast difference between skinning or being skinned let those who have been in and around the institution and think they know all about it let them go in as patients let them go through all the degrees of initiation until they get a diploma then ask them whether they can recommend it to the world as the best institution on the globe as i wish to give credit for every good thing which happened during my stay in the asylum and as i have passed over one thing i wish before i enter upon my last summer's history to notice it the thing referred to which was passed over in its proper connection was our thanksgiving dinners of eighteen sixty three and eighteen sixty four i was on the fourth hall at the dinner of eighteen sixty three i think it was about the twentieth of november i thought it a grand dinner fifty turkeys were dressed stuffed and cooked for that dinner for the patients i took a kind of philosophical view of it when it came on the table the first thought was after taking a glance at the whole thing what a contrast now it must be understood that our common everyday fare was a very stereotyped addition it was bread and meat and meat and bread with a little butter twice a day and cheese pickle and pie sundays only and i was always glad when sunday came for the sake of the pickle and cheese though the cheese was a very small piece i am not fault-finding only noticing the contrast there was a fine roasted turkey on each end of the table bread butter cheese pickle pie of the richest kind roast beef then came on nuts confectionaries in abundance with raisins and apples i think i must have been a little loony just at that time for i confess i was so afraid that some of us would overeat of this rich dinner that ten to one if we did not have half a dozen deaths in less than eight and forty hours afterwards for this dinner was not confined to one or two halls but was general at all events i was so afraid of making myself sick that i was foolishly reserved in eating i ate scarcely any of the turkey and by the way i never liked turkey i ate no pie i thought it was too rich i made my dinner of stuffing sauce bread butter and confectionaries i was not sick and i heard of no deaths on that account the next thanksgiving dinner of eighteen sixty four was on the first hall it did not make so deep an impression on my mind as the first but it was not exactly like it we had no turkey nor butter for that dinner but we did have a very good dinner with a dessert and confectionaries to close up with another spring now came the spring of eighteen sixty five i had made up my mind to go no more out to work i had got above work by this time though i was better able to work now than i was the year before yet if i had been ordered out i suppose i should have went but very little would have been the work i should have done as it was however i was not ordered out 
i had quit the dining-room six months before this except to eat my meals as the supervisor had told me i need not work there longer unless i pleased so i quit it and took to sweeping the hall for exercise every morning after breakfast there were a number of men on the hall who were excessive eaters but not one chore could be got out of them except to make their beds and sweep their rooms the floor of the hall had to be scrubbed and washed every monday morning this gave us a little good exercise the cleaning of house came on this spring as usual this is quite a business the patients can have employment in this for a number of days while this is going on no visitors are received the windows are all taken out and washed the mouldings and castings all scoured the bedsteads all taken out of their rooms the beds put into a pile and the bedsteads scoured and thoroughly saturated with kerosene to prevent the vandals from eating up the patients all the rooms are then whitewashed the bedsteads are prepared with strips of sheet iron instead of cords to lay the beds on this perhaps is an improvement one particular incident i cannot pass over without recording some time in the course of the fall or winter of eighteen sixty four to eighteen sixty five i cannot be particular here as to the exact time dr gray came on the hall accompanied by a man in regimentals a dark curly black-haired man rather slim but carrying a decided look and apparently a firm will and as i inspected him from a distance he looked to me as though he could hew a man in pieces with all the sang freud of a roman gladiator the doctor introduced him as dr chance a surgeon from the army and from this time was to be the attending physician on this side of the house i had dreaded the one we had before but now i thought we had got a reobum who declared his little finger should be thicker than his father's loins that whereas his father had chastised them with whips he would chastise them with scorpions such were the views i had of dr chance when i first saw him he commenced his rounds of visitations but i shunned him as far as i was able to do so till some observed it and thought i treated the doctor with great coldness i was afraid of him at length we came in contact i found he had a good mind penetrating and scientific i found he loved books and was a good observer of nature and withal was not an infidel my fears fled i soon found that he could not only reason but was willing to hear others after i had thoroughly weighed him in my own mind i resolved on an experiment for more than a year and a half i had now taken medicine three times a day and was now besides this drinking strong beer before every meal as to the medicine i had no doubt but it injured me and i felt that i was like a candle burning at both ends the pressure of the asylum on the one hand and the medicine on the other and so i contrived to evade taking it by spitting it out i confess i did this for more than three months and i knew i felt the better for it 
I will not stop now to argue the question of the right or wrong of my course, as I was not treated as a moral agent. I simply state facts as they were. I told the doctor I would like to have an interview with him in my room if he would admit it. He said he would do so, and not long after this he came to my room and gave me a fair opportunity to help him all that was in my heart. I gave him a brief history of my coming into the asylum, the causes that led to it as far as I knew, what my feelings and state were before, and at the time I came there, how matters had gone on with me since I had been there, what my appetite was, my general state of health, and how I felt at that time, and closed by telling him that it appeared strange to me that the manner of doctoring here should be different from the manner out of the institution. In this particular I referred to the continuance of medicine of the same kind for a year or more, three times a day, without reference to the state of the patient. I told him that it appeared to me that when a man was well and appetite good, he did not need medicine, and finally begged him to take it all off. The medicine was dropped off, and oh, how I rejoiced, not that I had swallowed it for the last three months, yet the idea that it was no longer offered me was a great relief. The bloating of my bowels and limbs ceased, and I felt much better. When it was no longer offered me, I felt like a new man, and hope sprang up in my mind. The beer was still continued. After a while, I introduced this subject to the doctor. I told him I felt quite well, and I could not see that I needed beer for my health, and begged him to take it off. He thought I was mistaken about its not benefiting me, but said he would take off the beer and substitute a little sherry with an egg three times a day. I begged to be excused from taking the wine, so he took off the beer, and from that time until I left the institution, which was perhaps three or four months, I took nothing, and I know I felt the better for it. So I found in Dr. Chance a man, a gentleman and a friend. I could not have been more kindly treated by an own brother than by him. When I left the institution, I felt that I had left behind a friend and a benefactor. I think him just the man for such an institution. I have had one very agreeable visit with him since I left the asylum. Footnote. Dr. Chance said to me at the time of this interview that I ought never to have been sent to the asylum, and that if he had been one of the physicians who examined my case before I was sent there, he should not have admitted it. End of footnote. He left the institution at Utica since I left there, went to Minnesota, and founded an asylum in that state, of which he takes the charge. I understand he is doing well. If I am so unfortunate as to go to a lunatic asylum again, I beg my friends to take me to Minnesota, and place me under the charge of Dr. Chance, but never take me to Utica. End of chapter 7